Let's go to Acts chapter number 11, first of all. If you would, please join me there, Acts 11, and then we'll go over to chapter number 13. So Acts 11, and then chapter number 13. You might be wondering, where are we going on Wednesday nights? Uh, since we're finished with 1 John, I'd like to stay, and I believe God wants us, is leading this way, to stay in some of the epistles. So it looks like the book of James is going to be up next. So I'm really excited about that. We've done that in adult Sunday school class, uh, but I haven't preached through it. So... It's very practical, um, uh, just wisdom from above. And so anyways, I'm really looking forward to getting into that and um, kind of doing some preliminary study and uh, getting things ready to go for that. So we'll start a new series, God willing, this Sunday in the book of Hebrews and then in James in the coming weeks in, on Wednesday nights. Okay, so Acts 11, Acts 11 and uh, verse number 19, I just thought it'd help us know a little bit of background here to the church of Antioch is what we're looking at. So Acts 11, verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Cyprus, we're going to see that a little bit here in chapter 13 as well. Cyprus and Antioch. Preaching the word, it says, to none other but unto the Jews only. And some of them, which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then the then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them, exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then it says Barnabas, um, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the what? Church. That called out assembly in Antioch. And taught much people and the disciples were first called, were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, now let's go to chapter 13. With that background, we don't know the name of the church planters, which by the way, it doesn't really matter the name of the church planters, but that it was planted in the right name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, churches starting churches, the persecution spreading uh, the gospel around at that time. So then we come to chapter 13 and we see this in verse number one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It's an interesting group of men there. It says, and as, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Do you see the personality of the Holy Spirit involved in this? The Holy Spirit is not a force or a power. He is the person of the Trinity. And so he says, I am separating Paul and Barnabas for the work whereinto I have called them. 
And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, which is it? Was they, were they sent by the church or were they sent by the Holy Ghost? Amen. Yes, absolutely. They were both the Holy Spirit of God calling them forth, the church sending them forth. It's, it's a mutual relationship. And we're part of that even tonight. What a blessing carrying this on. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. They sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, which is on the west side of the island of Cyprus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of Jesus, Savior, so son of the Savior. But he was far from that. Far from that, if you look at it in the next verse, verse 7. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, another name as it points out here in the parenthesis, uh, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who's, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. So Bar-Jesus is not really opposing Paul as much as he's opposing the Holy Ghost. Since Paul is filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul said in verse 10. Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now... Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You see that? That's very important. It wasn't just that he was astonished at what happened to Bar-Jesus, but he was astonished at the doctrine that was preached about the Lord Jesus, and thus he became a believer. And so tonight, the title of the message is this, The World Missions Focus of the Local Church. The world, you say it's not quite March yet, it's not time for missions. Always time for missions. The World Missions Focus of the local church. And I'm thinking, obviously, specifically of Southwest Baptist Church. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Someone has aptly said, and I jotted it down in my Bible, it may have been from a missions conference, and I don't know who said it. I didn't jot that down, but here's what was stated. A church not focused on the world is not founded on the word. 
A church that is not focused on the world, world missions, is not founded on the word. And then there was a few um, sub points that a person made. Uh, the church is the incubator of, for missions. So if it was one of our missionaries, I'd, I need to know who it was. But anyways, this is good. The Holy Spirit is the initiator and believers are the investors in world missions. It's a good outline. A church not focused on the world is not founded on the word. I uh, studied after a man named Daryl Bach who made several, I think, exciting statements about this um, exciting passage. I mean, really, this if you think in terms of what is going on here, I, it's one of my favorite passages here in terms of world missions, this chapter number 13, and, and how that it's just moving forward so rapidly from this, this point on. But he said this, the, the move to go to the end of the world has started in earnest. A church plant has taken up the call. A church plant has taken up the call. Many centers of activity are emerging. The scope of the task requires this. The account describes the first steps and missions as the called out and divinely directed church is following God's will. The church is becoming more organized and intentional about outreach. Here's a church that has seen the need to reach out to the world as its members have drawn closer to the Lord. Hey, listen, that's, that's what happens. As we draw closer to the Lord, he sends us out further in outreach. That's how that's supposed to work. World missions. We draw close to God and the closer you get to God, the more of a heartbeat you have for missions because that is his heartbeat. God loves churches, he goes on. God loves churches that look beyond their own needs. You know, it's easy for a church to get focused internally. But God wants churches to look beyond their own needs. We build churches not just to go in for worship, but also to go out with God's heart for people. Some good insights. Some good insights. This is a very transitional chapter here in the book of Acts. Up to this point, really, the gospel has spread, um, and in many ways it's spread rapidly. I mean, we can look at Jerusalem, and as they said, you know, you filled uh, Jerusalem with your doctrine. So there's no denying that, that uh, the gospel has spread very quickly. We could maybe say it this way, among the Jews. But it's not just supposed to stay among the Jews, but it's to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so in many ways, the gospel is spreading more gradually, we might make a case. It's spreading gradually, and largely it's individuals that are getting a vision for it. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from uh, the church in Jerusalem because it's, it's, the church in Jerusalem is the church that Jesus started, and from that church, other churches were started, including Antioch. Okay? because it is churches that, that start churches. But it was the persecution that kind of forced them out of their comfort zone. And they went into areas like Antioch and even Cyprus, as we read in chapter 11 of Acts. They, there, was, um, there was at least the sowing of the seed in Cyprus. And, and so we have some early work going on there. And then, of course, in Antioch, as people were saved and, and, uh, and a church was established out of the church that was in Jerusalem. Uh, Alexander McLaren said, the beginning of a big step forward is right here in this chapter. And I think that's right on. This is the beginning of a major, grand step forward. 
But it, but it also marks this. It's not just individuals that are getting the vision for this, but here it is, listen, it is the local church as a whole. The local church as a whole is now catching the vision for world missions. That is so essential because it cannot just be a missionary that has a zealous focus for world missions. It's got to be churches that have a, a focus for world missions. And Acts chapter 13 recounts and records for us when the church, this church in Antioch, and again, it's not that the church in Jerusalem didn't have that focus, but I think we can make a case in terms of reaching the Gentiles. It's this church in Antioch. In fact, it's because of this church in Antioch and how serious they got about the gospel that you and I heard the gospel because the gospel moved from here and it moved west and it came to us. And so I thank God for that. I do thank God. I think that Thomas went to India. I thank God for that. I thank God for how the gospel moved in different directions. But the, but the book of Acts records how that it moved west. And of course, as we come to Paul, he's focused on it going to Rome and then to Spain. And, and so he's very zealous about, about the gospel. And so here is this church. It's really the first church to catch the vision for foreign missions. That's it. Antioch. Thank God for this church, these believers. And, and so what did they do? Well, what did they do to become the, the church that was the catalyst to world missions? Okay, you ready? Here's the formula. They assembled. The first order of business for his churches is to assemble. They gathered together like we are tonight. They assembled. Are we, are we going too deep for anybody? We, is this all right? They assembled. We cannot minimize what God has planned for us to assemble as, as a church family. So important. And I realize there's people that are right now watching by live stream because of shut-in situations and health conditions. I totally get that. But God did not command the church to live stream. He wants us to assemble. And as we assemble, we do the work of the Lord. And so what was their strategy? What did they do? Well, here's what they did. They had preaching. And they had teaching. Novel idea. It's amazing how churches get away from what they did. The ordinary work, out of the ordinary work of the church came the worldwide expansion of the gospel. So I vote we just keep preaching. I vote, well, number one, I vote that we just keep assembling and then I vote that we just, are we taking a vote? Do we need a second? Do we need a, do we need a motion here? No, we just need to keep preaching. We need to keep teaching. We need to keep praying. We need to start fasting. Did I say that right? Or we need to keep fasting. Okay, what did they do as a church? What was their strategy? I mean, what, what, did they, what did they do? Okay, they got together. They had preachers. They had teachers. And they served the Lord by serving one another. And they prayed and they earnestly, what did they pray for? Well, no doubt they prayed for the prayer requests that were there in that assembly. But, but if you want to know what they prayed for, look what the answer is in chapter number 13. 
the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the worker unto I have called them. So I submit to you here tonight that what they were praying for is that God might help the gospel get further in world missions. And God was calling them out, calling individuals out in direct response to their prayers. And they were so serious about this that not only did they pray, though that's what Jesus told us to do. Isn't that right, church? Jesus said the need, the, that, that the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's why we're having this service here tonight. We're sending some forth. It's a direct answer to God, to prayer. So they prayed, but listen, they were so serious about this that they set aside food. Baptist church setting aside food. Baptists who love food. Well, because we're human and we like food. And so they said what is needed in the world in terms of the gospel going forward is even more necessary than my food. And they set aside time to fast and pray. I wonder if the work of God has been stifled in our generation because we're not serious enough about the movement of the gospel to fast and pray about it. I wonder if mission agencies have come up and I'm not, I'm not against missions agencies, they can have a place, but I wonder if there's maybe something going on in the world because the churches aren't doing what churches ought to be doing. Because an agency can't, uh, or a college can't, or uh, youth with a mission, YWAM, or other things like that, or JARS, or so many other things that can have a place. I'm not taking away anything from them. I'm not at all. But I'm just simply saying they cannot fulfill the Great Commission. They don't have the authority to baptize. They can preach the gospel and see people saved, and I pray that they do. But they can't see people baptized. They don't have the authority to do so. And they cannot start churches. Ethnos 360, on and on we could go with different groups that, that have, have at least mobilized and helped us to lift up our eyes. But I just wonder, church, I just wonder if you and I would get real serious again about fasting and praying and begging God to do something in our generation. I wonder if God wouldn't just stir up our membership. I got to tell you, it was rewarding. I preached this chapter about 10 years ago in, in uh, 2013 uh, as we were coming through Acts. And, and so then I'm revisiting some of this and I'm adding to the list of the churches that were planted. It was awesome and wonderful to add places like this, the Philippines and Mongolia and Japan. Hey, God, it works. Imagine that. We follow a biblical pattern. We do what God tells us to do. And he stirs up hearts to go to the mission field. Amen. It works. Praise his holy name. So what should be our strategy going forward? Same thing we've been doing. Same exact thing that we've been doing for nearly 75 years now at Southwest Baptist Church, just getting together every week, having preaching, having teaching. You say, no, I think we need something a little bit more novel. I'd rather just stay Acts 13 style. Preaching, teaching, and, and, and praying, and fasting. In fact, a lot of things that maybe find its way into churches are just a poor substitute what, what would be the real thing. Praying, 
fasting, gathering together. And, and you look at who is there. You've got men like, uh, like Barnabas, who, who is from Cyprus, Simeon, who is most likely from North Africa. In fact, his, his name in Latin, Niger, means black. And so he's a dark-complected individual, probably from North, North Africa. Lucius, who's also from Cyrene, is also North Africa. I mean, here's a, here's a, here's a conglomerate of people that are different nationalities. That's the way God meant it to be. And then you got Manon who, who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, probably Herod Antipas who put, who put John the Baptist to death. Here's one man who grows up who's killing Baptists. Here's another man who grew up with him either as a foster brother or in the same home, something like that. They grew up in the same home. One's a Baptist killer, one's a Baptist preacher. You can't make this stuff up. This is good stuff. So it says that they ministered unto the Lord. Look at it again in verse number two. They ministered to the Lord. Who ministered to the Lord? Hey, it wasn't just these five. No, when it says they, and then later on when it says that they sent them forth, it wasn't just those five leaders. No, listen, this is so vital that you get this. It's not just those five leaders. It was the church. They ministered to the Lord. They prayed, they fasted, they sent them forth. It's the church. It's the church. World missions. I, I know that you know this and I know that you live this. And in fact, I'm just going to keep preaching it lest we stop. But world missions is the work of the Holy Spirit involving the whole church family. This avoids two extremes, one man said. John Stott said this, it avoids individualism. Individualism would be somebody just going out on their own and doing a mission without the regard and authority of a local church. It avoids that. It's got to be done through the local church. You say, I think you're making too much of the church. Uh, Jesus died for it. It was his idea we can't make too much of it. You say, I think, you're too, I think you're too narrow in your ecclesiology. I think you're too narrow. Hey, it's what Jesus started. I just want to honor what he started here. Yeah. It's very vitally important that we do that. It avoids individualism and it avoids institutionalism, Mr. Sott said. Institutionalism in this sense, a church just making decisions without the Holy Spirit involved at all. No, we don't want either one of those individuals that's going out on their own or saying, okay, uh, let's send you two. <laughs> no, no, we let the Holy Spirit of God work in the individual's heart. And then once as a church family, then, then we're involved in this. We're assessing their character. We're assessing their doctrinal stand. We're assessing their spiritual walk with God. And we're saying that these individuals, these two whom we'd like to stick around here, keep around here. Or this dear family that was here singing just a moment ago, would we love to have them just stay on? At least the kids? Come on now. Wouldn't it be? Sure we would. But the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so you and I have the distinct privilege then to get around them and to be their supporting team and to pray for them and to fast on their behalf. Why? Because this is a spiritual work. It is a spiritual battle. 
Let's not allow this dear family to go off on their own. And I know that's not our intentions, but sometimes, listen, out of sight can be out of mind. But may God help us to remember to pray and even to fast and ask God to do a work in them and through them that they cannot do on their own. I've been there. Having seen and driving in a van and, and, and for miles and village after village after village after village that has no gospel witness. Where it is a stronghold of Buddhism, a stronghold of Hinduism, a stronghold of Catholicism, a stronghold of nominal Christianity and carnal Christianity. Hey, listen, there needs to be a movement of God and I think God's doing that. Praise his holy name. Andrew Murray said that prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. And he said this, in nothing is man more closely connected with the world of sense than in his need for and enjoyment of food. So we are to grasp the invisible and even let go of the visible. Okay, I'll just be very honest with you, transparent and upfront. My least favorite thing to do in the Christian life is fast and pray. I don't like it. Am I the only one? Skip a meal, skip two meals. Don't count breakfast. Some of you count, skip breakfast anyways. Skip lunch. You'll be thinking, man, when's dinner? And your friends at work will bring all kinds of stuff to eat. Hey, listen, this is a real deal. But, but the gospel work is serious enough. And some of the decisions even that you're facing right now, some of the decisions and, and thoughts that are on my heart and mind merit fasting and praying about them. And I realize that people have a medical condition where it's not a good idea. And I'm not advocating here tonight. I'm not advocating in any wise that you start out on a 40-day fast. Please don't do that. <laughs> or even a week-long fast. But maybe try a day to fast and pray. You got something that you're, you're trying to seek God about. Hey, listen, fasting is not just an Old Testament matter. It is a New Testament teaching as well. But I'm afraid, like someone has said, that in too many ways, as Baptist churches across the land, we have left the upper room for the supper room. And we're not seeing the power of God like we ought to. It's a normal acti activity of the church to do what we're talking about. And so then, as it happens then, the Holy Ghost says, separate me, be, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, and set them aside for the work, the particular task that I have called them. Did you see the word called? The word called is made up of two words. It's, it, it's uh, two words, pros, kaleo, kaleo, like iglesia, ecclesia, the word called. So the word where I've called, watch this, this is so powerful. Listen, he's saying, I have called them. The Holy Spirit of God says the word pros means to or towards. So I have called them to myself. Hey, listen to, tonight, by the way, every believer is called to serve God. Amen. Every believer. Every believer here is called to holiness. Right. 
Every believer here is called to serve God, but I believe that God is still calling and maybe be stirring somebody up in this auditorium and calling you to preach or calling you to world missions or calling you to, to, to plant churches. And when he does that, here's what he's doing. He's calling you unto himself to go out and serve him. Hey, don't look at that as a drudgery. Don't look at that as a burden. Don't look at that and think, man, I don't make them make money. No, you look at that as a privilege, as an honor that God chose you. What a high calling. Call to himself, bid to come to oneself. The Holy Spirit, Christ are said to call unto themselves those preachers of the gospel to whom they have, they have decided to entrust a service, one man said, a service having reference to the extension of the gospel. And I'm saying to those that are called into missions, you are called and entrusted with the gospel, dear friend. remember looking up at the sky at Camp Chautauqua in Ohio, overwhelmed with the thought that God had called me to preach. I just couldn't believe it. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a sacred responsibility. God has called you. Don't forsake it. Church, if God has called you, by the way, as we've noted before, and I note again, there's only three categories of believers, the zealous senders, the zealous goers, and the disobedient. And if God has not called you, boy, didn't we hear it even on Sunday night that God has called some to go and God has called some to stay. And you've got to ascertain or figure out by the Spirit of God leading you and, and everybody here ought to be open to God's call. I said, everybody here ought to be open to God's call. Don't get so settled in your career. Don't get so settled in your schooling. Don't get so settled in your ideas that you can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit of God coming to you and saying, I want you to serve me in this way. And if God has called you to serve him in that way, in, the, in taking the gospel, then don't step down to do any other job. And that's not taking away from anything that anybody in this auditorium does. But I'm saying to those that are called, that anything else, whether it be the president of the United States or the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, which you probably wouldn't want that anyways, but nonetheless, whatever the th your thought is that I want to go higher in this realm, hey, wherever you go up, you're actually going down if God has called you to preach. We need to look at our church not as a cruise line or a cruise ship, but a battleship. We, we need to look at this as a launching pad, not as a parking lot where we just come and get kind of comfortable. We need to let the Holy Spirit of God, not the preacher. I don't want to call anybody. I don't want that responsibility. Not the mom, not the dad, not, not anybody else, not a board. Not, we don't have a board of, of deacons or anything like that that operates. No, we want the Holy Spirit of God using the word of God to call forth those that are supposed to serve him. And then once he calls them forth, then we get behind them. That's it. Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. Did you notice he didn't even give them specifics on where he was going to send them? He did not give them an itinerary. He, not, he did not tell them. He did not tell them everywhere he was going to send them and everything that they were going to face. He didn't tell them about the stoning. It's supposed to have been plural, sorry. Stonings. 
He didn't tell them about the shipwrecks. He didn't tell them about the beatings. He didn't tell them about those things. But for the work whereunto I've called them. Hey, listen, when God's calling you, you don't have to have it all figured out. You, you just need to obey and go where he says to go and do what he says to do. Like Abraham did, he went out not knowing whither he went. Our missionary tonight doesn't have it all figured out. Except this, he knows God has called him. And he knows the approximate area. And he has an idea about a certain area of that certain area. Am I speaking code? Sure, yes. Because this is a restricted access nation. But no nation is closed to God. And I'm just going to pray that God would make it very, very specific and very, very clear. Because like, like Mr. Stott said again, the call to go was clear while the land and the work were not. So in both cases, both in Abraham's life and in Paul and Barnabas' life, the response to God's call required an adventurous step of faith. <laughs> what a great way to live. I just heard Brother Tom Brewer and Miss Cindy, they're back here and praying about the next steps. And they've got big ideas about what they're going to do when they get back to Brazil. They're not retiring. They're not in cruise mode. No, they're seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God that called them in the first place and is sending them back to Brazil. I guarantee you, if God is calling you to serve him in ministry, you will not have a boring life. Well, what happened? Well, they sent them forth and they went to an island country of Cyprus. They went to a place called Seleucia, which is a port city. And for the first time, as far as the church being all behind it, for the first time, the gospel was going to sea. And it went to Seleucia, to Cyprus, from Seleucia to Cyprus. On the east side of, of Cyprus was a place called Salamis. And there they preached. It's interesting to me. As I looked at this country, I thought, hmm, that looks like another country that's south of India. Just turn it on its side, and it's about the same size. Have you ever noticed that? It really is. Uh, Cyprus is about, um, let me get my dimensions here. Cyprus was 140 miles long, east and west, and about 60 miles wide, north and south. Whereas the other country is 255 miles long and about 135 miles wide, this way, east to west. Take it on its side and you're about, about the same country looking thing. It's interesting. Well, some had already been there and so in the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, they traveled from Salamis from the east towards the west. And I think they preached along the towns where they went and they found themselves in a place called Paphos. Paphos would be the, the uh, capital city where the Roman uh, council was, as we meet now, the deputy Sergius Paulus. But he had a Jew, a Jew that was a, um, a sorcerer. It's very rare that you'd find a Jew involved in this, but it's not completely rare. There are other examples, but here it is, a man that was like a court wizard. I'm thinking about maybe some like in uh, Pharaoh's court, just reading through Exodus, something along those lines. Maybe somebody that could help this Roman governor of that area to know what's coming up. I mean, they, the Romans were kind of into that kind of thing. Demonic activity. The occult. 
that, that, listen, that's what the missionary team was going to encounter was demonic activity. Don't, don't think the demonic realm is inactive or not real. All you got to do is talk to some missionaries and listen to what they've encountered. They meet this man named Sergius Paulus and he wants to hear the gospel preached. Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer, thinks he's about to lose some of his revenue. About to lose his position because he knows that if Sergius Paulus trusts Christ as his savior, his job is over. And thus, he opposes the movement of the gospel. And so Paul withstood him. It requires um, preachers and missionaries to be bold. Not cocky, not arrogant, but full of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what happens is that Paul fastens his eyes on him. Try not to make eye contact with anybody here unless you think that. <laughs> Using you as the illustration, I'm just simply saying he fastened his eyes on him. Full of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'm saying to you, listen, this was nothing less than spiritual warfare. And he referred to him as subtle, full of mischief, fraud, and wrongdoing, a child of the devil, an enemy of righteousness, an enemy of everything that is right. Hey, listen, we've got a lot of that going on in America today. An enemy of that which is right. That which would, the one that would pervert the right ways of the Lord. And so Paul called him out and here's what happened. He, he called upon God to help and, and God calls this man to be physically blind, matching his spiritual blindness. Sergius Paulus saw what happened. He also heard the word that was preached to him. And Sergius Paulus, in the process of that event, trusted Christ as his Savior. And really what you have right here in this very first stop of this missionary team as they got started on their missionary journey is in a microcosm what would happen town after town after town as the Jews remained in darkness and the Gentiles were open to the gospel. The gospel spread and a man was saved. Why? Because a local church got focused on world missions and was sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God and were a part of sending out Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto God had called them. And Sergius Paulus is in heaven today because a missionary team was obedient and willing to go when God called him to go. And thus, if what happened then is a model for us today, then the gospel can spread and churches can be planted if we as Southwest Baptist Church would fast and pray and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and deem that these things are of eternal value and not get caught up in all that's going on around us, then we too could see churches planted and souls saved. So what should we do? Here's the plan. Assemble. 
preach, teach, pray, fast, what will happen? God will stir somebody up. And he'll say, separate me. And I, I'm not saying who. Who's next? <laughs> Actually, you know, I think we ought to have that mentality. God, do you want me to go? I, I, think, I, think the, I think the Holy Spirit of God wants us as a church right now to be praying, God, where next? I'm thinking specifically about church planning in Oklahoma. Where next, God? Thank God for what's going on down in Choctaw. Even right now. So Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul, uh, uh, what's his name, Brian <laughs> and Tammy Wells. Who here wouldn't want the Wells family still to be here? My soul, we'd like for them to be here. I love that family, don't you? But the Holy Spirit of God said, I want you in Idabel. Calvary Baptist Church. Lighthouse Baptist Church, Iglesia Baptista El Calvario, Shawnee Baptist Church, churches in, in Brazil, Ethiopia, Kenya, Argentina, South Africa, Russia, now Washington, Japan, Mongolia, Kenya, South Sudan, Philippines. Where next, God? Where next? We need to be ready for the continued work of the Holy Spirit of God. That means this. May God help us not to take the assembly of ourselves together lightly. If God used the assembly then, evidently he intends to use the assembly now as a catalyst to world missions. I'm convinced we need to pray more and more seriously. I'm convinced that we need to add fasting to what we're doing. Whether you're called to sin or you're called to go, the key is that we follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in the effort of world evangelization. Since God's work in world evangelism begins in and continues through the sending church, we, by the grace of God, need to be all that God wants us to be. Let's stand together here tonight. Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are you praying? Are you open to God's call in your life sincerely so? Are you taking the assembly of the saints seriously enough to fast and pray? Certainly there are more churches that need to be started, more souls that need to be saved. It's amazing that, that so much of that depends on us being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Father in heaven, I thank you, dear God, for this family that is being sent out from this church. I thank you that in April, another family will be sent out from this church. I thank you that we get to be a part of that. I thank you that we can be behind them 100%. I thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do. I thank you for the sowing. I thank you for the watering. I thank you for the reaping that is taking place. I thank you for others who are even there right now. And God, I pray that you would so see fit to help us to be a good sending church, 
I pray, dear God, that you'd help those that are missionaries, that are church planners, that are preachers, that are preachers in training, even that have come here for training. This would be their Antioch, at least for a period of time. I pray that you'd help us to take our role seriously. I pray that you'd help us, dear God, not to be self-centered or proud or, or God, insensitive to your workings in our hearts, dear God, that you might work in us and work through us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.